0: Can you explain to me the NFL's obsession with overloading the distribution of games in the early slate? Because it makes no sense to me. I don't understand it. I don't know why the NFL feels the need to jam nine games down our throat and leave like the scraps in the afternoon. What are we doing?
1: Yeah, I couldn't tell you why they do that. I guess my best guess would be that more people are maybe watching earlier and then they kind of, like, transition away from football after, like, 1 o'clock. I could be wrong. Maybe everybody's still sticking around watching football the whole day, but that would be my hypothesis of the situation. But, honestly, I don't mind it, you know? I I, I like... Having a decent amount of games early and then the late games, I don't know. It's I don't really have a take on it. You know, it's I, it doesn't bother me, is what I should say.
0: Mm. I think I, I mean obviously we come from a different perspective. I know that it's something like only ten percent of NFL fans like consume you know Sundays the way that we do on Red Zone. It might even be less than ten percent, but like just from a like an NFL Red Zone perspective, like it would make sense. It would be more entertaining to have it spread out. Like we saw the worst case scenario this week where, you know, the entire 1 p.m. slate, all the games are just absolute dog water. And then we have four games going on in the afternoon, and they're all good, and it's hard to focus on them because you know they're like so much impactful shit is going on at the same time in the four games. Like just spread it out. It, it would reduce the chance of having bad slates in either. Cause like on the flip side, you know, maybe you have a great one pm slate, super entertaining, and then what's gonna happen in, in the afternoon? You're watching four dog shit games falling asleep, like just spread it out. <laughs> and then from a DFS perspective, the more games late the more decisions you have for late swap which just gives you know players who are grinding an edge i mean i know that that's an incredibly small sample size of people who like care about that but like i mean i i, I for one would like that
1: yeah i was gonna say uh the nfl doesn't give a fuck about DraftKings. kings you that's know cap. so so they're not <laughs> no that's cap they're not gonna uh schedule their slate of games for for the the help of DraftKings players, dude, I don't I I, okay, I don't that, know if you have seen how
0: much like DraftKings and NFL are integrating, but uh I, I would not say that the NFL doesn't care about DraftKings.
1: Nah, they are they they know that fantasy football is huge, and obviously DraftKings is a part of that, and they have their partnership going whatever. So they do care, but obviously they're not going to be like, oh, we, we need to make these slates <laughs> better for DraftKings players. Like they yeah. they're, they're going to do it in a way in which makes them the most money. So I don't know the process behind the scheduling and why they put nine games at one o'clock and like four at four. But it's obviously for a reason maybe it has something to do with like the individual teams that are playing and where they're located. Like especially the East Coast team since that's where a majority of the NFL teams are, it, it would probably be more optimal to have them play at one o'clock than than four o'clock and if you look at it every week it's usually the west coast teams are the teams that have the four o'clock start times Mm. most of the time so yeah
0: that's that's probably a big factor in it last thing i'm going to say because this is the actual solution i was thinking you know like let's not just complain let's have a solution the solution is to abolish sunday night football as a standalone game and add it as a third slate and then just spread it equally three three slates at three different times Football all night, multiple games, the entire time. That's the solution. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 164 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Halver, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to be breaking down week three in the NFL from a DraftKings perspective, talking some slate specifics, what the Vegas lines are telling us about the week. We'll talk some chalk and, of course, leverage, stacks, and long shots, everything you need to know to have a good chance at banking a tournament this week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. And finally, our Discord channel is open and available. The link to join that is in the description to the podcast. Joey, How you feeling, dude? You ready to bounce back after a tough week two?
1: Yeah, of course. Week two was an L, right? Huge L. Mm -hmm. But we don't take L's around here, Ben. We we learn lessons, okay? Um, Shout out to Big Sean.
0: No mistakes in life, only lessons.
1: And week two was a lesson. It was a lesson on... Not to play absolute stone old scrubs in cash games. Okay. So I won't make that mistake moving forward. So I'm re- I'm ready to go for week three.
0: Yep. I feel you. We're we're Xing out all players over the age of thirty-two for cash games for the rest of the season. I think that's fair.
1: Yep. Of course.
0: <laughs> all right. Let let's see what uh Vegas is telling us. Get into some slate specifics. Per usual, we've got a 13-game main slate with 9 games early, 4 games in the afternoon. There are 5 games this week with totals of 50 or above. Top 5 implied team totals on the slate, we've got the Chiefs at 31, Cardinals 29.75, Seattle 29, Ravens 28.75, and Tampa Bay at 27. 0.75 a lot of the usual suspects here at the top of the list joey what stands out to you from a vegas perspective
1: yeah what stands out to me is that it's like a very lopsided week in terms of totals um either the total is on the higher end like so like 53 54 or totals for these games are on the lower end like 45 43 around there so that's what's standing out to me and then obviously you have a couple clear cut games that everybody's going to target chiefs chargers bucks rams seahawks vikings and the cardinals jaguars game so we kind of know where people are gonna go and rightfully so those are the best games on the slate
0: yeah i I was gonna say sort of the same thing it looks like the games that stand out stand out even more than usual just because you know the lackluster quality of the games at the bottom of the list so i think that you know as that will reflect into dfs what we're gonna see is a lot of consolidated ownership and you know maybe you can pick or or find some long shot one-offs in those you know less attractive games that'll that'll be under-owned because everyone's stacking the good games but uh we'll get into that here as we talk about the dfs plays specifically and we and we can dive right into the chalk here starting off at running back joey who do you who do you see being high owned At the running back position in week three.
1: I think we're going to see a similar week that we saw in week two and week three, where a lot of the chalk is going to come from the mid range of running backs. So I expect Najee Harris, who only got a $300 price increase. This week is going to be chalk once again at home against Cincinnati, but there is some concern obviously we we know the offensive line concern and now Big Ben is hurt as well. So if Dwayne Haskins is the starter, I don't know if I really want to play a running back attached to that offense cuz they already suck and it's just going to get worse if Haskins is in there, but he should be chalk. Mixon might come with ownership at 6300 and same thing with Chris Carson at 6400. Both are in good spots. I think, and both should see 18 to 20 touches. So I think they will come with ownership as well. But I I expect these mid-range running backs to come with a majority of the ownership this week.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, at the high end, I could definitely see people trying to get up to Dalvin Cook. Um, You know, we had the injury concern with him. As of Wednesday, he's reportedly going to get, quote, some work during Wednesday's practice. So, I mean, if that means he's limited on Wednesday... That's a pretty good sign for his availability at 8,400, I mean, at home in a shootout game, you know, against the Seahawks, a team that just surrendered like 300 yards to Derrick Henry. I mean, (laughs) God, like, yeah, I I think Dalvin Cook's going to be a popular option this week.
1: Yeah, Dalvin Cook should come with ownership if he's healthy and ready to go. It's a good spot for him at home against Seattle. And not much needs to be said about Dalvin Cook. He's a great fantasy player. And Derrick Henry, I mean, he he might come with ownership as well. The Tennessee Titans are most likely going to face Jacob Eason in this spot at home. So it projects to be a favorable game script for the Titans. And as it stands right now, Derrick Henry is projecting better. Than Delvin Cook. Now, I don't know if the ownership will reflect that, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on as the week goes on. And, you know, we touched on it in our recap episode. If he continues to see work in the passing game, we're going to have to consider Derrick Henry in cash games moving forward. So something to keep an eye on, but just had to mention the big dog.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I would like to see it one more time. I mean, if Henry is getting four five six targets again in a third consecutive week then i mean i'll be ready to adjust that that is a new factor uh, you know of their play calling this year so one more week for me to really believe it but i mean i'll definitely take some shots on henry how can you not when this man has you know 50 bombs in his realistic range of outcomes
1: yeah two games isn't good enough for you though.
0: to think that he's all of a sudden a pass catching back i'm gonna say it's not (laughs) hey
1: he has more uh he has more catches than Delvin in the same amount of targets. So we, we might be sleeping on on Henry this week. And, you know, as it stands right now, like I said, uh, he he's projecting better than Delvin. So I, I, might, I might play the big dog this week. No bullshit.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, sleeping on Derrick Henry's never been a smart thing to do. So you mentioned the mid-range, Najee, Chris Carson. But there's another running back that I'm expecting to be relatively popular on DraftKings, you scroll down past six K, you scroll down past five K, and I'm looking at forty eight hundred home running back for a team with a thirty-one implied team total, six and a half point favorites. I mean is Clyde Edwards Hilaire an amazing play this week or what?
1: <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> amazing play. Probably forty eight hundred you know, $800 above minimum (laughs) for a player in the best offense in the NFL.
0: (laughs) I mean, on paper,
1: he's going to be the highest owned running back on the slate. Yeah. I mean, if you want, if you want to go there, I I think it is a good play. It's a good cash game play. In my opinion, I just personally just can't play him because I've already disrespected him so much. Mm. So how would it look if I, Put hundreds of dollars on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire this week after just flat out saying he's a bust and getting roasted for it in the YouTube comments. How would that make me look?
0: I mean, I hearken back to Week One last year when I spent the entire 2020 offseason, you know, shitting on Josh Jacobs and then rolled him out in my cash lineup and he scored three touchdowns. And you know, I will say. I felt a little dirty doing it, but the payoff kind of, you know, numbed the guilt. (laughs) So, you know, I think that, you know, if you're you're winning some bank, it is what it is, bro. I mean, you you can say he's just a guy next week, but you might have to jam it (laughs) in this week. I don't know.
1: But, you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, he's going to project better than he has in previous weeks right but i I just don't know what his opportunity will be in this spot you're just kind of banking on him to get catches and he has shown over you know his young career that he's not going to get targeted a lot by patrick mahomes and that's just a fact man I, i think that's something that we have to accept is he's not going to be that pass catching you know specialist back that he was coming out of lsu in this chiefs offense as it is now Uh, So his upside, I think is limited. You're not playing him to be that grinder that runs the ball 20 times and, you know, gets you 102. So if he's not providing you anything in terms of receiving, I don't know if he's that good of a play. And honestly, I'm probably not playing him just for upside reasons and for my bit equity and my brand. So yeah, I mean, I'm fading Clyde Edwards-Hilaire this week, and I really don't care.
0: Yeah, you, you definitely can't undervalue the bit equity. I, I agree with that. I mean, is it worth noting that he had a career-high six receptions the last time he played the Chargers? I don't know. I don't know if that matters.
1: <laughs> I don't think uh, what he did in, in 2020 uh, matters. but
0: I will say, just from like a larger DFS perspective, that if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is stone chalk, like I think we're expecting him to be, then he makes for an amazing fade in tournaments. Just, oh, just
1: I like mean that. I'm I'm fading him 100% in tournaments either way. Yeah. So, <laughs> but you know, maybe he can uh wind the clock back and, and go back to last season when, you know, he he had some 6-8 target games and if he gets one of those games then yeah, he he's going to be he's going to be fine. He has never scored over 21 points, so what's the ceiling on CEH? 20, right? If he scores you 15 at 48, yeah, that that's good, but it's not to the point where you have to lock him into every single one of your lineups. I don't think like we've seen enough games out of him to know that he's probably not going to dust you if you fade him. So I don't think he's a must play. I just think he's going to be stone chalk. And we've talked about it before. If we have a certain feeling about a player, we're not afraid to to go against consensus and fade that guy. And this week is probably the first week that I'm going to do it in cash games where Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be a fade for me and we'll see how it works out on Sunday.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel you. And I actually think to a certain extent, all of these chalk running backs are good to get away from this week. Najee Harris I mean, you mentioned the concerns with Big Ben's injury. He's not going to be 100%. The offensive line is already bad. And Cincinnati's run defense has quietly been pretty good, holding both David Montgomery and Dalvin Cook to the exact same rushing lines in week one and two, 20 attempts for 61 yards. So, I mean, I don't know how successful Najee's going to be in this spot. He would have to get there on catches. And if Chris Carson's popular, I mean, God, like he ran really hot last week scored two touchdowns and still finished the day with only like 15 DraftKings points so mm-hmm. I mean I don't I don't feel great about any of these guys to be completely honest outside of the top tier that we discussed with the big dog and Dalvin Cook I think that you just eat the, the CEH shock. but I understand why you wouldn't and uh you know, I think it's a good stance to have.
1: Yeah. And just from a lineup standpoint, and this will be my uh, final point for running back, uh, you can play just two running backs and, and not play CEH and go wide receiver in your flex. And we'll talk about it when we get there. But I think there's some wide receiver plays in that range that I would prefer to CEH mm-hmm. if you're going with four wide receivers and cash.
0: For sure. For sure. And we've actually gone the four wide receiver and cash route uh to start the year in both of the, the previous two weeks. And I, I wouldn't be shocked to see us End there again. Moving on to quarterback, I think the question on the week, it's still Wednesday as we're recording this, is whether or not Andy Dalton is going to be ruled out and push Justin Fields to the forefront of the conversation. At 5,200, Justin Fields is going to be intriguing. He's going to project well depending on how, how much people expect him to run, which I think will be sizable. I don't know how much I love Justin Fields in this spot, man. I mean, you know, I love it from my best ball team, seeing him potentially get the start as early as week three. I think that we talked about that a lot, like week three being a target week for Justin Fields. But on the road at Cleveland is not an easy spot to play uh, your first NFL game.
1: Yeah, it's not an easy spot, but I'm not too concerned about, you know, matchup in week three. It's still early. We don't know which defenses are going to be good. And I mean, they've they've given up 33 and and 21 points so far. So it's not like they're locking down anybody. And Tyrod Taylor, before he got hurt in that game, he was 10 of 11 for 125 yards and one touchdown and had a 15-yard run as well. So he was literally dotting up the Browns. If Tyrod Taylor you know, can do that. I'm not too concerned about Justin Fields. And the thing with Justin Fields is you're, you're getting that rushing upside that we like for fantasy at 5,200, which is such a cheap price tag. So even if the passing might not be there earlier in his career, and he he's struggled so far, especially when he came in for Andy Dalton, you're still going to get that rushing upside. He ended with 10 rushing attempts for 31 yards last week. And in his preseason and regular season snaps, he's ran the ball 21 times for 123 yards and a touchdown so you're getting like elite rushing upside out of justin fields at 5200 and yeah if he only scores 20 to 22 like that is good but it's obviously not the same caliber of ceiling like from a kyler who can drop 40 but if if he gets 25 points at at 5200 i I would take that in cash games all day and he's probably my preferred lean right now.
0: Really? Yeah. I mean, just like the overarching perspective, seven and a half point road dogs going into Cleveland struggles through the passing game. But yeah, I mean, if he gets there through the ground, then I definitely I mean, think it's it's viable.
1: Them being huge underdogs like that, I think works in favor for Justin Fields because more pass attempts, more rushing attempts for him, you know, more dropbacks. So
0: yeah, I, I could definitely see that being the case. Just if the scoring expectation is under 20 points, that's hard to justify over, you know, the Kyler, Murray's of the world, you know, literally expected to score ten more points, and that's almost being conservative.
1: But at but at three thousand dollars more, correct? Correct. So it's all about It's all about points per dollar. And Justin Fields will probably end up being you know, a top three point per dollar play, and he allows you to, you know, maybe pay up to a Dalvin Cook Mm -hmm. or a Derrick Henry or get up to one of the higher upside wide receivers that we'll talk about.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, besides Justin Fields, you know, who do you expect to be the most popular options at quarterback this week?
1: Yeah, so I think Justin Herbert will probably be the most popular option if it's not Justin Fields. 6,500 on the road in Kansas City, you know great game environment for him he's thrown the ball 40 plus times in back-to-back games gone over 300 yards in back-to-back games and this is a good spot for him so I I like Justin Herbert I'm considering going there again in cash and then if you're you know looking at the top end I think these guys will have some ownership but I don't think they're going to be too chalky so obviously Kyler is great at 8300 and then Mahomes is projecting off the charts right now too at 8200 so those two guys obviously are great players and, and great fantasy players, but I don't think you have to go there just because, you know, you get some savings if you go to Herbert or Justin Fields. But if you want to, I mean, those are the guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kyler hasn't put up less than what, like 34 points. So, I mean, I, I would feel yeah. <laughs> very comfortable going Kyler at this point. He's like playing at an MVP level, but... I mean, Justin Herbert's price is depressed because of the way that the game played out, but not because of the way he was playing. If that makes sense, I mean, his stat line of 338 for one passing touchdown could have easily been 400 yards and three touchdowns, if not for some bad officiating in that spot. So I think at 6500. You're just getting a strong discount on Justin Herbert based off of the box score. Not based off of the way he's been playing in recent weeks. So,
1: yep, exactly. Justin Herbert has actually been like really good and, and playing really well. Just like you said, box score hasn't been there, but in this shootout against Kansas City. I think he can easily throw for three or four touchdowns and put up 300 yards. I I would say he's a lock to go over 300 passing yards in this spot.
0: And sort of correlated to that, moving on to wide receiver, Keenan Allen to me is once again, one of the standout plays. I know he didn't eat with receptions the way that we typically see, but he still did cross the bonus. I mean, he had four receptions for over 100 yards, put up 17.8 points last week and still somehow got a $400 price decrease. I mean, Keenan Allen at 6,600 just jumps off the screen to me.
1: Yeah, Keenan Allen, I think, is one of the better uh, wide receiver plays on the slate. It's just, I think a lot of people are going to go to Cup for $200 more. Mm-hmm. And then you have some decent wide receiver plays below him. So I don't think he's going to be like top three in terms of ownership, uh, but he still should. Come with relatively decent ownership and it's obviously a good spot for him and Mike Williams. I love Keenan this week, sixty six hundred, that's cheap, but I, I think Cooper Cup figures to be like the highest owned wide receiver this week and and rightfully so.
0: Yeah, I mean, averaging ten and a half targets through the first two weeks with Matthew Stafford, thirty-three point three DraftKings points through the first two weeks and you know i mean just from like uh how we expect this game to play out perspective i mean you know McVeigh's a sharp coach Daryl henderson's out like they're not going to be jamming sony michelle down the middle in the run game they're going to put this game in stafford's hands and try and attack tampa bay's secondary I mean, Cooper Cup at 6,800 is is a must play, I feel like.
1: Yeah, he's probably a lock just for the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, Sean McVay is a smart coach and he's going to attack the weakness of the box, which is the secondary. So I expect Cooper Cup to eat and Robert Woods might come with decent ownership. He's projecting really, really well right now. So Woods at 5,700 might be a little chalky as well. And I think he's a fine play, but obviously Cooper Cup looks to be the number one there so i would i would much rather go with cup and and fade woods in cash games but if you want to go both and you know stack up the the rams pass catchers honestly you can you can do it i wouldn't but i I wouldn't hate anybody for doing that and yeah so the those rams guys are are so good this week though
0: yeah man i mean i i took the woods over cup stance in gpps last week i it obviously didn't pay out but i think the process was smart and i mean i think we'll see something similar this week i mean i'm willing to take that bet once again in gpps as great of a play as as cup is i mean i don't think the double stack is out of play and we'll talk about long shots at the end of the show but i think that you can get weird with the way that you attack the rams this week Are there any other players that you're expecting to be major chalk at the wide receiver position?
1: Probably not major chalk. I don't expect any of the guys at the top of the wide receiver pool to, you know, be like 25 plus percent owned. But Tyreek Hill could have ownership in this spot. It's a clear bounce back spot for hill who only put up five points against baltimore and we know his ceiling on a game-to-game basis and then Diggs at 7600 i don't i don't think anybody will go there d hop might have some ownership but other than that i'm not really expecting any of these guys at the top to be heavily owned Um, i'm expecting the mid-range to just be popular you know we've already discussed a couple but the bucks wide receivers i think are going to be in play especially uh, chris godwin who got a little price decrease. He's 6,100. You know, I think he's the best bucks wide receiver personally. Antonio Brown just got put on the COVID list like 10 minutes ago. Oh, wow. Uh, so if Antonio Brown misses this game, that's one last player to take away targets from Godwin and Mike Evans. So I, I think Godwin could see a decent amount of ownership in this spot, too. And he's projecting really well as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, God, if, if Brown is out, which it sounds like he probably will be. And Mike Evans is getting locked by Jalen Ramsey. I mean, Chris Godwin could absolutely feast in this spot.
1: Yeah, um... I love Godwin this week, and I I, I just love these mid-range wide receivers. I don't really see a necessity to pay down, but if there is one pay down wide receiver that we could talk about for this chalk segment, in my opinion, it would probably be Marvin Jones Mm -hmm. at 4,900. He saw 20 targets through the first two weeks. LaVisca is a little banged up. He probably will be in there, though. Him and Trevor Lawrence look to have you know, a solid connection, even though T-Law has been bad and it's a great game environment. So if you want to pay down to Marvin Jones, I think that's fine. And he's the guy that, you know, price included, I would play over CEH in the flex. I just think his ceiling is higher. And honestly, I think his floor is very similar to CEH as well. So I would personally play Marvin Jones above CEH in the flex if you go for four wide receivers.
0: I mean, that sounds bold, but it it really might not be. I think that that's something that we'll definitely have to consider this week. The only other wide receiver that I think could really, you know, develop into chalk is Odell Beckham Jr. this week at 5,300. We don't know if he's going to play yet. He's been, you know, making some typical dramatic wide receiver posts on social media, hinting that his return is imminent and, you know, he's going to hold the fort down while Jarvis Landry's out. But I mean, Odell Beckham stands out to me at 5,300, you know, just as a player that is wildly undervalued for his potential ceiling. I will I will throw in a, a caveat that I've never gotten Odell Beckham right in DFS. I've played him a lot, and, <laughs> and I always miss the weeks. I always miss it, so I don't know. I could be bugging with this.
1: Yeah, I don't think he will become chalk either way. Um, I think he's just gotten to that point where people aren't going to jam him in, even though he is the only... Like wide receiver there when healthy now with Landry going on IR. So I don't think he's going to be chalk at all, but I think it's definitely a spot to target in GPPs, which we'll talk about here shortly.
0: Yep. Uh, Before we get to that, the tight end position, I think it's pretty clear where ownership is going to consolidate this week and it's going to be Tyler Higbee. I think people are ready to embrace a bounce back after, you know, he ran badly last week with what, 1.8 points on DraftKings. That's, that was a tough scene at massive ownership for a lot of people. But at 4K, you're getting, you know, a, a tight end who is playing literally every snap. That Matthew Stafford is out there on the field for the Rams offense
1: yeah Tyler Higbee is the clear cut chalk this week at tight end um and, and rightfully so you know you mentioned it 100% of the snaps uh ran bad last week but it's a good spot for the Rams pass catchers this week so I like a Higbee bounce back at 4k I mean, he's the the clear cut number one option. And then some of the guys at the top of the player pool might be a little bit owned as well. You know, TJ Hawkinson is 5,200, should have decent ownership. And then people are obviously going to pay up to uh, Travis Kelsey in this spot. So those are the three tight ends that I think most players are going to consider for cash games. But I think Higby is clear cut number one, in, in my opinion. And I don't think it's close.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've got a little bit of a TJ Hawkinson. Uh, rant but i'll save it for our tournament segment here i think he's an amazing play this week 5500 gronk you, you gonna be going there chasing another two touchdown performance
1: uh absolutely not <laughs> no shot
0: no shot all right I, I just, no shot just had to check all right we can get into our tournament breakdown here leverage stacks long shots i mean joey how, how do you plan to get leverage on the field this week
1: yes yeah, so i touched on it in my video, but the way that I like to get leverage is to... Just go away from the balance build and target some of these higher upside passing stacks that are going to go underowned. Now I don't know if the Chiefs will fit into that category. And obviously everybody knows that the Chiefs stack is the best stack on the board every week, but they're always underowned in tournaments just because of that thought. Like people are like, oh, they're the best stack. Everybody's gonna play them, whatever. But then they end up never being owned. So I love I love going there if you want to stack Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, and and then just find a bunch of value guys. But I think one of my favorite stacks this week is the baltimore ravens lamar jackson single stack with hollywood brown or if you want to go with mark andrews but my preferred stack out of that game is lamar to hollywood and tj hawkinson on the bring back i love that for large field tournaments you get the upside that you want out of your quarterback with lamar jackson elite upside elite rushing upside hollywood brown has been so consistent ever since the end of last season and he looks to be like the number one guy in that offense and lamar is looking to him quite a bit. And then TJ Hawkinson is the number one guy for the Lions and they could put up points as well. We've seen it over these first two games that the Lions offense isn't like crazy terrible, but obviously they're not going to be able to keep pace, but they should be able to put up some points as well.
0: It's it's funny that that's where you went. Because you know we didn't talk about it uh, before the show, but this is absolutely my number one stack for the week as well. We we've actually barely talked about Lamar Jackson on the podcast because you know we we cover the main slates pretty exclusively, and he's been on Sunday night and Monday night football. So this is the first main slate that Lamar Jackson is on, and, and you know just in case you're unaware, Lamar Jackson's still doing Lamar Jackson things. His two rushing lines through the first two weeks, 12 for 86, and last week 16 for 107 and two rushing alone. Like Lamar Jackson is still that guy. And and I mean, Marquise Brown, like you said, he's developing in his third year after having a pretty up and down start to his career into being just an incredibly consistent wide receiver. He's fourth in the NFL in percentage of his team's targets. He has a 31.4% target share in the Baltimore offense. He He's a red zone threat at this point, which is a new development for him. And, I mean, he's also a certified G. I don't know if you caught this story on Twitter, but Marquise Brown had (laughs) not one, but both of his girlfriends at the Chiefs game rooting him on. They might have even been in the same section. I mean, utmost respect to Marquise Brown for that. Just that alone makes him a stone lock to me at (laughs) 5,600.
1: Yeah, what a guy uh, having multiple girlfriends, um, living the life. But, yeah, Lamar Jackson, obviously great play. He's third in the NFL in rushing right now <laughs> as a quarterback um so that that just speaks to his upside and hollywood is obviously a great play and then mark andrews who is 5k is gonna go under owned i think so you can go you know mark andrews and lamar stack or hollywood and lamar stack and maybe if you want you can get frisky and, and do the the coveted double tight end mm-hmm. strategy and tournaments i personally want it but It it could be viable with Hawkinson and Mark Andrews, you know, two top five tight ends. So, love that. And then I also love the Russ Wilson stack this week. I I think that Vikings and Seahawks game is going to be the high totaled game that goes completely unknown in tournaments. And we've seen it over the first two weeks that Russ and, and Lockett have a great connection and have this crazy high ceiling. And then, if you want, you can include DK Metcalf in there. So, I love the Seahawks stack this week. And then and obviously, you have great bringbacks with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen as well. So that's kind of my strategy for the week is just to target some contrarian stacks that are going to go under own because over the first two weeks, that's what's been winning. And that might be the new trend mm-hmm. for NFL this season is going just... Really contrarian in tournaments, and it's been paying off.
0: Yeah, shout out to uh, Britt Divine of Roto Grinders who tweeted about how you know out of these first couple of weeks in the NFL, we're seeing the lowest total ownership shipping these massive tournaments so just getting it makes more, sense though it does make sense definitely i mean especially with the increased availability of like information and more people using projections than ever it's like ownership is consolidating more than it ever has because people are getting smarter so they're making the right plays which is you know makes cash games hard but in, in tournaments it makes it easier to get different because you know that more people are going to be on the chalk so that does yeah it does uh, make a lot of sense yeah i was
1: i was gonna say uh everybody has you know access to projections now and, and ownership projections and like you said they're they're getting smarter and you know it's just the the hive mind everybody's playing the same plays and hearing the same information from tout so we got to capitalize on that and become more contrarian in our tournament builds which is something that i haven't done i'm a less riskier tournament player than some other people are just because it's like I can never play like a KJ Osborne. I, I could never just click him into my tournament lineup. Meanwhile, you know, some, some other people can and they capitalized on it last week. So I just need to change that in terms of my tournament building strategy moving forward for this season.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's a interesting bit of self-reflection. You know, just going back to your point about the Seahawks stack, are you going to be riding the Tyler Lockett wave or going to be, you know, on on the Metcalf side of things? Because I I think that Metcalf is definitely the better play. But I mean, God, I could definitely see Tyler Lockett. He's definitely do. But, I mean, I feel like if I roster him, Lockett's just going to jam it down my throat for the third week in a row.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to have exposure to both. I think both are, are great plays. I mean, they're $100 apart in the same matchup, you know. So, mm-hmm. obviously, it, it's kind of just a pick and I don't know who I would prefer because Lockett has been snapping, but like DK Metcalf is due. Like he he's due for a big game. So I'm going to have exposure to both. That's the cop out answer.
0: Yeah. The the due narrative. It, it never fails.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we can wrap this up here with uh, a couple of long shots. Uh, who do you got? Who are you taking a stance on? You know, getting getting bold in your tournament lineups with.
1: So this week at wide receiver in terms of a long shot, DJ Chark. I'm going back there, man. Mm, I like. It's that. such a good spot for him lavisca is banged up marvin jones is gonna have ownership so you get leverage off of him and he had a bad game in week two you know four targets only one catch but trevor lawrence is just missing him on these deep throws like he's getting open he's burning these cornerbacks and if trevor lawrence can just hit him in stride like he should have had a long touchdown against denver lawrence just under threw him so i'm going back there dj chark 5300 in a, in a great game environment. And obviously you can do that as a bring back with the Cardinals uh, side of side of things as your primary stack. So DJ Chark is my long shot of the week, 150 yards and a touchdown.
0: I like that. Yeah, that's, that's solid. I mean, when we were talking about Marvin Jones and, you know, I'm just noticing that he's there for 400 more. I think that that's a, that's a great leverage play as well makes a lot of sense. We know the ceiling is there with DJ Chark. Another wide receiver that we know that the ceiling is there for that hasn't really materialized this year is AJ Brown. Um, You know, I I went to the well in week one, got burned. I went back in week two, got burned and I'm ready to get burned again, man. I mean, I I know 6,500 for AJ Brown though. I mean, this is still a player with one of the highest pure ceilings on a week-to-week basis we know that he can do it he's had the opportunity it's not like he's being phased out of the offense 8.5 targets per game which is you know standard for aj brown he's not a target monster he's gonna get there on massive plays and I, i think that he can still do it just because it hasn't happened yet in 2021. I think maybe he's been having some concentration issues. He was joking about it on Twitter, but man, I think this is a good spot. Indianapolis's secondary is not something I'm concerned about. I I don't want to target this game itself as a stack, Uh, you know, with Jacob Eason starting. I mean, I think Tennessee just rolls in this spot, but I think AJ Brown's a solid, solid uh, one-off to have some exposure to in your lineups this week. It probably... Sub five percent ownership, if if I were to guess.
1: AJ Brown, great play. Um, Julio Jones is is good too, and yeah, I, I've lost money on AJ Brown the first two weeks, so I'm right there with you. I'm ready to uh, lose more money on AJ Brown again this week, and you know I just want to uh, say that Mike Williams is, is probably like the best tournament play at wide receiver this week.
0: Yeah, I mean he w- he was goddamn near that last week too, and and I don't know, people just aren't ready to buy into Mike Will yet, and until they do, uh, I think we keep jamming him. The, the last, I mean, sort of long shot I want to say is like, despite people wanting to target this game and cooper cup being you know one of if not the chalkiest wide receiver on the slate i don't think that people are going to be playing stafford stacks that much and i think that you can get really different even from other stafford stacks just by adding a second wide receiver to the cooper cup mix you know both of the other ancillary wide receivers are extremely cheap they're going to be one percent owned you know van jefferson was you know the recipient of stafford's first pass attempt as a ram you know for an 80 yard touchdown bombs so I think that you could go there at 3,400. And Deshaun Jackson, I mean, he wasn't targeted last week. I don't know if he's a factor. I don't I don't want to get burned by an old man again. But at, at 3K, I don't know, revenge game against Tampa, maybe? I don't know.
1: <laughs> I mean, probably not on Deshaun Jackson, but I definitely love the Matt Stafford stack uh, just because he's not going to be owned, he's sixty four hundred hundred dollars below Justin Herbert, so people aren't going to go there. Uh, it's just hard for him to hit his ceiling. You really need him to go for like what three fifty and three for him to to really keep pace with some of the top guys. So that's why people aren't going to go there. But I, I could see why stacking him would would be good. And then one of my favorite stacks that goes along with DJ Chark is just Trevor Lawrence, who's fifty five hundred. And I just think in this game he he's going to have to keep pace if the Jags want a chance in this game and the Cardinals don't have a great defense you know they just let Kirk dominate them so I like buying in on Trevor Lawrence at 5,500 in a bounce back spot against the Cardinals and all of his wide receivers are 5,300 and below so it's easy to double stack and then you have great bring backs as well with D-Hop, Rondale Moore if you want to go with like Chase Edmonds or Christian Kirk that that's fine too so I, I like stacking the Jag side of the ball even though it is kind of disgusting.
0: Yeah, I mean, God, T-Law's got to bounce back in in one of these games, right?
1: Yeah, he he has to. And I I think this is a very good spot for him to throw like three touchdowns at 5,500.
0: Yeah, I I could definitely see that. And it's going to be low owned. It's going to be contrarian. So I, I like that for sure. Let's close out the show here with our best bets of the week, Joey. And we're going to be focusing once again on prize picks. What do you what are you liking for the player prop side of things this week?
1: So I have two picks that I like. My first pick would be Kirk Cousins over two hundred sixty five and a half passing yards. I just think in this game fifty five point total for the total to get reached, both offenses are going to have to score the ball a lot, which means I think Kirk Cousins will be passing the ball a lot. The Vikings defense is horrible, so this should be a back-and-forth shootout game. So i like Kirk Cousins to go over his passing yards. And then Joe Mixon... His rushing yard prop is 62 and a half right now, and I like that as well. Joe Mixon is second in the NFL in rushing yards right now. He's been a touch monster. He's second in the NFL in rushing rushing attempts behind Derrick Henry. So I think 62 and a half is just a very low line for a player that's going to see 25 touches against the Steelers defense that is not gonna have TJ Watt. They lost Devin Bush last week, and they had a couple more injuries as well. So those are my two fa- favorite props. For this week, Joe Mixon over 62.5 and Kirk Cousins over 265.5 passing yards.
0: Yep, I-, I like both of those. They they appear solid to me. I've got two as well. Just sort of building on what I've been talking about all episode, I- I'm taking the over on Stafford's passing yards at 290.5. I mean, I think that he goes over 300 easily in this spot. McVay is going to know that if they want to beat the Bucks, they're going to have to do it through the passing game. Daryl Henderson's injured. They're not going to be jamming Sony down the middle of the D line here. Stafford is going to throw for 300 easily. And I also like the under on Najee Harris's rushing prop at 69 and a half. Just seems high for him. I mean, DeMont, Dalvin Cook both hit the unders against this same Cincinnati team. I I don't think that Najee is going to be doing what they couldn't. You know, overall, Najee just hasn't looked good besides one impressive stiff arm. He's looked Pretty average as a running back up to this point. I don't think the week where Big Ben is is injured and, and you know either going to be playing injured or you know seeding the start to Dwayne Haskins. It's it's just not a good spot for any of the Steelers skill position players this week.
1: Yeah, I I definitely like those bets. I I like Stafford to go over, and like you said, Najee has been average, so I I like that bet.
0: Yeah, and that and that's gonna be it. For this week's episode of the podcast, quick scheduling note, we are going to be doing the Saturday stream at a different time this week. We're going to be doing it in the afternoon. Joey is traveling, so just the the nighttime stream isn't going to work out this week. We'll see how it goes uh, as to whether or not we continue it. You know, the the Saturday nights have been pretty good. I enjoy doing them, Uh, but we'll see. I mean, if more people enjoy the afternoon, we could potentially switch to that, but we'll see. Keep an eye out for that. We'll probably be live around 2 or 3 p.m p.m eastern we'll tweet we'll tweet it out and talk about it in the discord as well as to when people want to watch the saturday night stream
1: yep gotta catch a flight after this podcast so yeah so, so see the viewers saturday and you know hopefully this time we don't have to uh go at some some of the people comment commenting because god people just love to troll you know
0: they do they do we'll see how that goes on saturday but either way make sure you guys check out that saturday stream it's a lot of fun and you know we'll be updating our thoughts with the information that we get over the next three days of practice reports. But like I said, man, that's going to be it for episode 163 of the podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. For more week three NFL DFS content, make sure you check out the YouTube channel, the DFS Dose. Joey has posted his GPP video already. I will be breaking down cash games on Friday, and the Saturday stream that we just referenced will be live in the afternoon. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you, we value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.